The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. There were two brothers that were two of the most notorious outlaws in the entire Old West. In fact, I have a, a historic photograph of these two brothers. Here, go ahead and bring up that photograph so you can see it. Um, this are these two brothers. The one on the left is Jesse James, and the one on the right is his brother, Frank James. And these two uh, famous outlaws were most famous. They were deadly. They were most famous for their bank robberies. But they decided to try their hand one day at robbing a train. And the reason that they wanted to do this is because they heard that this train was going to be carrying $75,000 in gold, and it was going to be traveling across the West. And so just to kind of put that in perspective, this is 1873, and in 1873, $75 amounted to something like almost $1.9 million. This was a huge fortune. This was a huge treasure they were on the hunt for. And so they decided that this west go, westbound train, they were going to, to hijack it, and it would turn out to be the first train robbery in the West, and the first time a moving train was robbed. And so they planned it meticulously. They rode across that rail to find the precise spot they were going to intercept this train. And there was one spot that they agreed on. It's about halfway between Omaha, Nebraska, and Des Moines, Iowa. They found this spot. And at that site, I'm told to this day, there is a memorial of this train robbery, this moment of what took place. What they did was they found a spot on the train tracks that was a curve in the track so that the train would have to slow down a little bit, miles coming up to that spot. And what they did is they went, they found out what day the train was going to be going through there. And right at the curve, they took some of the spikes out of the railroad. And then they they attached a rope to the unhinged track and they hid off to the side. And they waited, their, their gang waited till the train got close where it was too close to be able to stop. And with that rope, they heaved the track out of joint. The conductor would then slam on the brakes, but it would be too late. And the engine would go off the train, off the, off the track and it would slam to a stop and then they could board the train. So they had this whole thing worked out. They had all this plan and the day came. And the train was coming just like they thought the train was coming right on time. And they hid out and they, they had already pulled out the spikes. And they already attached it with the rope. And sure enough, right when the train was just too close to stop, they pulled the track out. Of, uh, 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 they unhooked the track and pulled it off to the side. And sure enough, even though the conductor slammed on the brakes, the engine went careening off the track, tipped over, and all the cars stopped on the track. At that point, the gang came with their pistols blazing, with uh, masks tied around their face. They came with pistols blazing from all sides, but Frank and Jesse James jumped in to the conductor's car, and they forced them, them to open up the safe to reveal this treasure that they were after. But when they opened up the safe, the treasure wasn't there. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. They had robbed the wrong train. They held up the few passengers that were on board. 
made off with very small amount of loot compared to what they were wanting to rob. And even though they had accomplished their plan flawlessly, they had robbed the wrong train. And as the story goes, it was only 12, 24 hours later that the right train came down through and they, they just missed it. They, they were on the wrong train. Now, I tell you that story because uh, I think there's a dynamic that can be similar in our own lives. So with the Bible, it's interesting the way it, it handles like our desires. Sometimes we think that um, what the Bible wants us to do is kind of like the things that we want and desire. It's that the Bible's trying to suppress desire. It's trying to suppress drive. Maybe even suppress ambition. But really, in actuality, what the Bible talks about is some of those things are not bad when it's pointed in the wrong direction. Like, there are treasures that we should be after. We're just on the wrong train. We're just, when we open up the safe, it's not the right treasure. And so the, the scripture actually, and, and when we get a, a, a taste of what the scripture is saying, it's like, yeah, you've given me this drive. You've given me this desire. You've given me these things that I want. Just help me point it in the right direction in the way that brings life. Let me just put this a different way. Uh, let me just put it in really stark terms. I think every single one of us, we, we desire a certain treasure. We desire a full, thriving fruitful, meaningful, purpose-filled life. We've got one life that we have to live. That's it. And sometimes we're like on that train and it's whizzing by, it's whizzing, and things are so fast that we can't just stop for a second and say, man, with all of this energy, with all this drive, with all the busyness, with all the days whizzing by, am I even on the right train? Because what we deep down desire, we want a full, thriving purpose-filled, meaningful life that at the end of our days, we can feel like we lived life to the fullest. You know, what's so comforting is that is the exact thing that the scripture wants for us as well. And God's really clear. It's not like hidden, mysterious code that we have to crack. He says, no, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what I want for you. And so he lays out what that's supposed to look like. I want you to open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Powerful passage in the scripture. Very life-giving passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As you're turning there, uh, 2 Corinthians is um, a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church in the city of Corinth. And so it's, a, it's an ancient Greek city, but in a lot of ways similar to modern Fort Lauderdale, Miami, modern South Florida. And so there's a lot we can pull from this letter as we can from all of scripture. But let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Here's what he says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Now let's just pause there on that first verse and kind of get our bearings here. Um, I like that he says, the point is this, like he's, we're in the middle of a whole discussion. He's got a whole topic, a whole argument that he's making, and he's kind of pulling it to the main point. He's saying, look, this is the main point. Like this is the big idea I've been building to. And so he gives it very, in a very crystallized, clear way. He talks about sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping is um, at its, its heart, its origin, it's an agricultural term. And if you're like me, I don't have much direct access to agriculture. I've tried to grow things. It usually doesn't go so well for me. Um, but maybe some of you have got more experience with that. Maybe some of you grew up on a farm or in that part of the world. And this, but either way, this is a more intu- this is an intuitive illustration that even in modern times we, we can understand. But let's just put it in its original context of sowing and reaping like when it comes to plants. I want you to imagine you go to Publix and you buy some oranges. And you're eating a a slice of orange and you get a seed in your mouth and you go to spit out the seed and you look at that seed and you're like, you know what? I could theoretically plant this seed and I don't have to go like buy oranges anymore. And so you say, I'm gonna do it. Yes, today's the day. And you spit out that seed and you get a little pot of soil that you get from Home Depot. You plant it in that soil, you water it, you put it in the windowsill and sure enough, a little time goes by and there's a little sprout that came out of of the, the pot that you planted and you're thrilled. So you take that outside, you go find the right spot uh, uh, in, your, in your yard, and you plant it there in your yard, and then you water it, and maybe you put some fertilizer on it, and you keep an eye on it, you keep the weeds away, and you tend to it. And after some time, then you now have a small little tree. And, and within a few years, maybe if you're lucky, you've planted that seed, it's healthy, and now it's starting to produce oranges. And apparently, if it's a mature orange tree, you can get a hundred oranges, a couple hundred oranges. And so one day, you've planted this orange tree, and now you've got a hundred oranges. And you say, I just wanted to avoid buying five oranges. What am I going to do with 100 oranges? And so you say, hey, I heard of this farmer's market down the road. And so you get all 100 oranges and you go down to the farmer's market and you set up yourself a little booth and you're like, how much do I sell these for? I say, well, I could sell them for a dollar a piece, but I grew these in my yard. These are organic oranges. <laughs> They're like free range, local oranges, okay? So I'm gonna sell them for $10 a piece. And people are like, ooh, $10, they must be wonderful. And you, they buy your $10 oranges and you've sold all 100, you have $1,000. And you're like, wow, I, that was one speed, a seed. I almost spit it into the garbage, but instead I sowed that one seed and it turned into $1,000 worth of oranges. But then you stop and think, there had been 10 seeds in that, oranges, in that orange. And there were five oranges. I could have planted 50 seeds. Had I planted all of those seeds, how much money would I have now? I'd retire after this, you know, farmer's, you know, market here. You know, you're thinking, you're starting to do the math. This is the point of sowing and reaping. You sow one seed, you, you reap, and, and it's great. You reap exponentially. You sow a lot of seeds, you, you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Okay, we get that. We understand this principle. We apply sowing and reaping to all types of categories of our life. Financially, we say, okay, early on life, I want to save and put it away. And I know the more I put away now, 
like in the end, if I, if I, you know, for the end of my life for retirement, if I sow more now, I'll reap more later. Okay, so more I sow now, the more I reap later. We, we think about that with, with our health. You know, it's like, you're like, hey, I, I want to have good health for a long time, so I'm going to sew and go to the gym. It's not fun. You know, I don't like it, but, you know, in the end, I, I want to be healthy. And so, like you say, okay, I'm going to sow now to reap the benefits later. We do that relationally. I'm going to sow in my marriage. You know, I'm going to sow these things in my marriage. I'm going to sow as a parent. I'm going to sow in my friendships. If I, if I want to have life-giving friendships, I'm going to sow seeds, I'm going to be intentional with friends and spend time with them. I'm going to get involved in a, a, at my church in a serving team, a small group. I'm going to, I'm going to call, follow up with them. I'm going to sow seeds in those friendships because I want to have thriving friendships. And we know in every one of those categories, we don't just wait and magically it appears. Like if I don't set anything aside, I'm not going to magically have finances for retirement. If I don't invest in my marriage, I'm not going to magically have a thriving, thriving marriage. If I don't invest in friendships, I'm not, friendships are not just going to appear. I have to sow in order to reap, right? This makes sense, right? Yes. And as we talk about those, just those categories, like just if we stop the sermon now, there's something kind of like kindling, at least in my heart, I'm talking about it, like an urgency, a desire is like, man, I actually want to go home and like look back at my finances. I like to think back at my marriage. I want to think over on my friendships. I want to look at how I'm, I'm sowing as a parent. Like it makes me like think about my health. Like, okay, am I sowing enough? Like all of a sudden a desire, when I, when I put it in the framework of sowing and reaping, like a desire is kindled in my heart because I, I know how that works. Okay. So what category of all these categories that we can talk about when it comes to sowing and reaping, when it comes to our lives, what part of our life is Paul bringing into the sowing and reaping framework. Look what he says in verse 7. Look what he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is really profound and unexpected. He's bringing the category of generosity in the category of sowing and reaping. And what's so often we think of generosity in terms, we don't think of it in sowing and reaping. I sow with the expectation of reaping back. Like that's what sowing and reaping is. I sow now to reap back. But so often when it comes to generosity, we don't think of it in sowing and reaping terms like Paul is doing. We think of it in like, well, I'll give it up, but it's gone. I don't see it as sowing anything. I just see it as like, okay, I'll just, it just disappears. Like I'm just, it's one way. I'm just giving it and it's gone. I, I don't think of it in terms of I'm actually sowing in order to reap something back. But that's what the Bible is is categorizing it as. See, what he's, Paul is doing is he's stirring up our hearts, and in the same way, when we look at our lives as like sowing and reaping, it starts to motivate our hearts for that category. He's trying to motivate our heart when we think about financial generosity. He's trying to stir that up because he's saying, because the principle is like anything else. It's a sowing and reaping concept when you're generous back to the Lord, you're sowing something 
with the expectation of reaping back something. And he's saying, because that's what God wants. He's saying, look, God doesn't want the, he doesn't want us to engage him like, okay, fine. I'll, if I have to, uh, I'll do it. He's like Corinthians. He's like, I'm not stirring you up on this category of generosity. I'm not talking to you about generosity. So it's like, fine, look, Paul, just tell us what you want us to do and we'll do it. And then I, I do it and I check it off and I say, okay, fine, it's done. You, you're happy now that I can go back to kind of where I want my focus to be. He's like, no, no, that's not what God wants from you. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Well, I think what Paul would say is like, he, he owns every, he doesn't need, he has no, he doesn't need me. He doesn't need the Corinthians. He doesn't need, he doesn't need us. He's after a heart. He's after a heart of worship that loves God more than anything else. And Paul's trying to stir up our heart by talking about the sowing and reaping. Okay, when he says reaping though, what exactly are you saying, Paul, that we reap back if we're sowing? I mean, the other categories we can see, like I can see, you know, sowing in, in these categories, relationally, physically, financially, I can see how I reap back. What then does generosity reap back? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Let's pick it up in verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, I, I love this, uh, this verse 8 um, and the, the English, to, to make it kind of understandable in English, doesn't fully capture how often the word all is used in the, in the ancient Greek. In the ancient Greek, in verse 8, the word all is used five times. It's over and over in verse 8. And here's what he's saying. He's saying God is capable of making all grace apply to you so that you may have all sufficiency in all things at all times for all good works just over and over and over, like so encompassing. And, and listen, this is profound. This is life-changing. Listen to what Paul's saying. This is true. It's not the only place in scripture it talks about this theme. It says, all grace applied to you, Christian, you, you know this, like you're under a framework of grace. If you're here saying, look, I, I feel so far from God, like he, I know I don't do things right. I'm probably going to hear another thing that I'm not doing right today. Like, I, I'm so far from God. Like, I, I'll try, but he feels a million miles away. Then if that's where you're at, hear the grace of God over you. Salvation is a gift to you, offered to you that you can accept today. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to get it. You can't be Christian enough. You can't be religious enough. You just receive the gift of salvation, which is the Son of God dying brutally on the cross to pay for all sin, all of your sin, past, present, and future. And he raised to life, defeating sin and death, and say, I will take your sin and your failures into death, with your past into death with me. And I'll rise up and you will rise up with me, walking in a new kind of life. 
And if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are walking in grace poured over you, new every morning, constantly poured over you. He no longer sees you with a framework of disappointment and wrath and anger. He has nothing left. All of that was exhausted on Jesus. All he has left for you is the love of a father. That's what grace is. He says, all grace is dumped on you, Christian. And if, that's, if you're like, look, I don't know that I've ever accessed that grace. You're going to have an opportunity to do that today at the end of our time together. I want to, we're going to give you an opportunity. If for those of you who've put your faith in Jesus, you're all his grace constantly. It's not that you have his grace when you're doing the right thing. It's not just that you have the grace when you're in a good season. It's not just that you have his grace when you feel like you're close to God. No, he's pouring out his grace, calling you to himself, bringing you to himself. He's pouring out his grace. And from all that grace, all sufficiency, Everything you need is provided. Not everything maybe I think I need, but everything he knows perfectly out of his love that I need. All of his grace provides all sufficiency at, in all things, in every category, he's providing those things. At all times, he's providing constantly at all times in all things so that I can have all good works. So that because he's writing a story about your life and my life, that's a story that's gonna bear fruit, that's gonna have meaning and purpose and impact. And he says, I'm writing and authoring that story. And then Paul quotes this verse, and it's from Psalm 112. And here's what sometimes happens in the Bible. Sometimes they would, and we do this today in, in modern ways too, but sometimes they would quote one part of a, another section of the Bible, just one piece of it, but it is bringing the full framework of that passage, the fullness of that passage into this context. And so Psalm 112 is, I mean, a deeply resonating psalm. I think if you were to hear Psalm 112, and I want to read it over you, I think there's something in your soul that would so say, yes, that's what I want. Let me read this to you. It's a short psalm, but it's in, with intentionality that Paul's brought this psalm to their minds. Psalm 112, let me read this over. Just listen to this. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. He conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. This is the part that Paul quotes. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. The, his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Do you hear what he's saying? 
He's talking about that kind of thriving, meaningful life that I think all of us are after. It's like my heart is right with God. I'm fearing the Lord. That's what I want. I want a heart that's right before the Lord. I'm on track. I'm feeling that life-giving, thriving from the inside out, delighting in the Lord and in his ways with this fear and trust of the Lord. And so that's overflowing out of me onto my children. And I see that my children, our children are, are, are strong in the land. They're sturdy. They're unmovable. They're strong. They're mighty. And then I'm part of a generation that's rising up that won't be moved. And we're influencing each other and stirring each other up. And then my heart is so firmly fixed on the Lord that I do not fear bad news. That doesn't bother me because I know who's in control. My heart is sturdy, stable, consistent, faithful, and that's overflowing. And there's two ways this passage talks about what what the specific actions are of such a person. Two ways. They lend and deal generously with the poor. And then he says it a second time. They give generously. Why? So that their righteousness can endure for all times. And so sturdy and stable is my heart before the Lord that the treasure that I am after is the type that will not go out of style next year, but it's the type that will still endure and matter one trillion years from now. I'm after that kind of treasure. The type that I know the world is not going to understand. Powerful psalm but how we want to thrive. And here's what Paul is bringing to mind. He's like, man, sowing and reaping, you're desiring after. It's an act of worship from our heart, desiring, and as we're generous back to God, we're entering into this relationship with God where we're sowing and reaping for the sake of the things that matter for eternity, that produce a life that is meaningful and purposeful and impacting the kind of thriving that really matters. And then he, he, he says this, and I, I want to read this and we'll, we'll pause there for the day. Here's what he says. Verse 10. He has supplies, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. It's Paul's words. As you sow, as you sow into the things that really and truly matter for eternity, he says the Lord is going to increase your seed to continue sowing and gaining more, reaping more back of a harvest for righteousness that will, that will endure throughout all of eternity. He provides. So in other words, think about it like this. I love how he says, he's the one who provides the seed. Can we kind of, um, can we be disruptive for a second on how we so often view our relationship with our finances? We say, okay, um, Lord, here's what I've worked hard for as I've been strategic. I've, in, I've invested hard. Maybe I, I invested in my education early. I've worked hard. I've made some, some risky career moves, but I, I worked hard and this is what I've got. Okay, what is it that you're wanting me to give to you? Like, let me just do that and then I can kind of focus back on, on what I have. And Paul is disrupting that. He's interrupting that. He's turning that around and he's saying, everything that you've been given is from the Lord. 
we're not providers for ourselves. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I work pretty hard. I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty strategic. I mean, I'm special. You know, I provided for myself. Say, no, everything you have was the Father saying, here's some seed. Let's sow it together over here for something you're going to still be happy about when we enter the one trillionth era in heaven. I want to do this with you, son or daughter. I've provided all of this. Well, look, I mean, if God's the one providing, then he could provide a little more because I've got I'm struggling with debt or, I mean, things are tight right now. And I don't know if you've seen some of the prices, you know, I talk about buying oranges at Publix, you know, they're like a bazillion dollars right now. I mean, he could provide a little more. And so often what we do is we say, hey, God, look, if you're wanting me to sow, I'm going to need you to provide some more seed, then I'll start sowing. But let's, let's kind of turn that around. Which of us, which of you as an employer would sit down with someone on your team and say, hey, you're underperforming in this area. area. And what if they were to say, huh, it's because you haven't given me enough responsibility. Give me more responsibility and then I'll start performing. There's not a single one of us, hopefully, that'd be like, that's a great idea. You've underperformed with a little, but with a lot, that's when you'll be an all-star. That's, what, that's actually what the Bible says. The Bible's way ahead of our management techniques. It says, be faithful with a little, and then you'll be entrusted with more. He says, actually, part of the problem is if, we're wait, if we wait until we feel rich, we will never feel rich. And there's two problems with that. Not only will we never start sowing for the things that matter, but we'll also never have this heart of gratitude like, I can't believe how much you've given me. Start with contentment and saying, God, you've given me so much more than the vast majority of humans ever in history. I have so much. Now let's go to work together and sow in things that matter for eternity. That's what he's calling us to. He, here's ultimately where, where this comes from. We're sowing for righteousness. Here's what he wants, church. His whole point of this section, he's brought, he says, here's the point. God's not after your stuff. He doesn't need it. He really doesn't need it. He's after your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your heart to desire generosity. He wants to call you to see it as a sowing and reaping. He's wanting your heart. He's wanting us to view our generosity from the framework of worship. See, here's the challenge for us. In a modern times, we think of worship as it's something that we get something out of. So worship's for us. So we go to church and hope that I get something out of it. I go to church hoping that I feel good, feel better, feel inspired, feel equipped. I'm going to get what I want. So I have a certain, like, I hope it's on the right topic I want or the passages I want, or the songs I want, it's the length I want. Like, I, want, I have the things that I want. I'm hoping to get out of it. So I go, maybe that's when I go. I go when worship is, is it's a good time for me. I need to pick me up. I, I need the shot in the arm. And so I go because I think worship is to get something out of it for me. But if that's what worship is, who's the centerpiece of worship? Me, I'm not worshiping anything except myself. The biblical framework, the Old Testament framework, it was 
so clear. Worship is for God. I go for God. I, I, I go, I set aside, so in a modern context, I, I set aside the time for God. I sing the songs for God. I, I listen in, in, in a Bible study because I want God to speak what he wants to me. Like I, it's for, I'm giving it back to God. And the paradox is as I'm doing it for God, that's what I'm most blessed. But it's all about God. And so in the Old Testament context, because it was for God and it was an offering to God, they would always come bringing a gift to God. It was giving and generosity was in the context of, of, of worship. It made sense because all of this is for God and so they would bring a sacrifice. They'd bring an offering to God. But in our context, it's like, well, don't mix those two. Worship is when I go to, and I, I get refreshed, inspired, I get a pick-me-up. But man, like generosity is something separate. This is what he's saying. No, he wants our hearts to want to give ourselves our time, give our treasures. He wants us to give ourselves to God. Generosity is a part of our worship. That's always been the case consistently through scripture. He wants us to give back to the Lord in worship. Why? Why is that? Why is that worship? This is what he is said in this passage. When I'm giving back to the Lord, I'm saying, God, you are my first desire. I want you. How could I think any shiny thing on this world that's here today and gone tomorrow could possibly compete with the glorious being that created everything. You are my first desire. It's worship when I give back to the Lord because I, I'm saying you are also my provider. I don't provide for myself. I don't put my trust in finances. I don't put my trust in money. I don't put my trust in the things of this world. No, I put my trust in you, God. You're my desire, you're my provider, and you're the one I'm putting my faith in. When you say something, I'm going to do it in faith. I'm gonna take that step in faith. Our generosity is an act of worship. Now, we say, look, I hear you. It's a good passage, makes sense. I'm not disputing, but this is a tough time to hear this passage. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but Earlier this week, like banks are closing. I mean, it's like uncertain time in our economy. So can you hear your Savior's words on that subject? I want you just to hear, don't hear this sermon. Can you hear Jesus' sermon? It's all red letters. I just want you to hear what Jesus said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, it's like this. When it comes to generosity, this is a central part of our worship. So church, can we hear this text and be challenged? Give like you know who's on the throne. Give back to the king, to your God, like you know who's on the throne. I wanna challenge you very, let's make it actionable, very specifically, what are, what are we talking about here? I, I wanna challenge you to do something. And it's like um, Jesus would say this in his sermons, he who has ears, let him hear. Like, some will hear this and the Holy Spirit will work on your heart and you will take a step and you will not be a hearer, you'll be a doer. And maybe others are not ready or others are gonna resist, but I just wanna challenge you. Set aside time today, maybe tomorrow. And open up your finances alone or with your spouse and start with prayer and renegotiate your relationship to your finances and bring God into that sphere because they belong to him. And start with prayer and say, God, all of this is yours. What do you want me to do? Because I'm putting you first and I'm gonna give back to you first. Then make a plan as he's directing. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna be a doer of the word that Jesus spoke to us, that God spoke through Paul? How are you going to take a step as he spoke through the psalmist in Psalm 112? How are you gonna take a step? Pray, then plan, and then walk in faith. Give like you know who's on the throne. Take a step. Now look, if you're our guest today, this is not about this church. If you're our guest, do this with the church that you're, is your home church. Go on their website or go on their app or however they do it, but same thing. Pray, plan, and give to the church that you're, that's part of your church family. If you're wanting more information, if you're part of this church, cityrev.org slash give gives you more information about this process. Pray, plan, and then give like you know who's on the throne. Why? Because can I remind you who's on the throne? Can I remind you who it is that we serve? 
Because Jesus is on the throne, you are not at the mercy of your circumstances. Because God is on the throne, you're not under the tyranny of the rise and fall of the stock market. Because God is on the throne in your life, the outcome of your life is not determined by politicians and bank presidents. Because God is on the throne, you are in his hands. You are in the hands of the one who is the owner and operator of the entire universe. Whole galaxies obey his command. That's who you are. That's that's the God who's on the throne. And and that is then who you are. You are not a citizen of these kingdoms on this world. You're you're a citizen of a higher kingdom. You're a citizen of a kingdom. And this is the type of thing that happens in the kingdom that you are a citizen of. You're, You're a citizen of a kingdom where seas are rolled back to make a safe passageway through. You're part of a a kingdom where manna shows up on the floor of a wilderness and water flows out from a rock. You're part of a a kingdom where the sun stands still so you can find victory in battle. You're part of a kingdom where giants fall and fire comes from heaven and people walk around unharmed in lion's dens and people walk around unharmed in fiery furnaces. That is the type of kingdom. You're part of a kingdom that will never fail. You're part of a kingdom that will last for eternity. You're part of a kingdom that is already victorious. That's the part the kingdom you're a citizen of. So because of that, we do things that are alien to this world. We give and we give generously. Why do we do that? We give in defiance to the patterns of this world because we give in defiance to the lies of a devil that tries to get us to feel insecure when we have a king whose name is above every name who wins in the end. That's why we give. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's why we give. That's why we give back to Jesus because it is our joy and our privilege to say to Jesus, where the rubber hits the road, every part of me belongs to you and it is my joy to prove with my life that you are in control. That's why we give. Let's enter into a time of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Believer, can you stay in this moment before the Lord? Some of you, he's looking down and he's saying, your giving, your generosity has been such a delight, such a beautiful act of worship. He's saying, I loved you already no matter what, but you giving back to me like that, thank you. Some of you are here and you could say that about your life at one point, but maybe your heart's drifted from its first love. Maybe it's gotten distracted. Maybe it's forgotten. Maybe tough times has made you pull back. And he's saying, I love you. I delight in you so much and I want more from you. Come back to me in your worship financially. Others of you, he's... Maybe you're saying, look, if I'm honest, I've always seen my, my finances as mine. And every now and then I give to God. And he's saying this, Christian, 
Say, I love you so much. But I want more for you. I'm running a universe. Your finances are no problem for me. Take a step of faith. Put it into action today. Others of you are saying, I'm new on this journey. I never even thought about my finances being an act of worship to God. He's saying, I'm, I want to take you on another dimension of this adventure. Take a step. Bring that part of your life before me. But there are some of you today, and you feel like you're far from God, like maybe you don't know God, maybe you're, you've never known that salvation was a gift, and you've been working and striving to try and earn his love and earn salvation. You've constantly wondered, am I saved? Have I done enough? Others of you say, look, my striving has been running. I've not been trying. I've been running away from God. And either way, if you've been trying to earn your salvation or you've been running as far away from God as possible, but can you just come and bring, come to a decision point today? He's offering salvation to you as a gift. Today is a day you can receive as a gift salvation for eternity. Count the cost, Jesus says. Because to receive that gift, we give him back our life and make him our king and our savior and our Lord. We give him back everything, but we attain so much more. We attain his Holy Spirit in our life and eternity in heaven and a right relationship with God. So are you ready to make that step of faith? If you're a believer can you just quietly, silently lift up those in prayer who are at a decision point? Because some of you today need to put your faith in Jesus Christ once and for all and walk out of this room knowing that your eternity and your life is forever changed. It's like you've been born into a whole new life. So that's offered to you. You here at West Pines, you in Cooper City, those of you watching online, the gift of salvation is offered you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to just right there in your seat. You can take that step and I'll lead you in a prayer. But so you can remember this moment, if there's anyone that wants to put their faith in Jesus, whether you're home in Cooper City or here, I want you just to slip your hand silently up in the air and put it back down. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If today is the day, say, today I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Anybody else, you say, today's the day. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to take that step. Praise God. Let me lead you in a silent prayer right there in your seat. I want you to pray this silently to God. Say, God, thank you for saving me. I receive that gift, the free gift of salvation, and I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we uh, celebrate with those who put their life in Christ today? If that was you, I want to encourage you, you can go to cityrev.org faith. If you're watching online or you're here, just write on your phone. We'll send you a Bible. If you're here physically um, in the front lobby, stop by guest services. We'll put a Bible in your hands today. Uh, we'll give you that Bible as uh, beginning this journey. We want to celebrate that with you. 
Um, as we're gonna close with a song, and as we do, there's gonna be several of us leaders down front we're just making ourselves available for prayer. Maybe you put your faith in Jesus for the first time. Wanna come forward and we will pray with you. Maybe you're uh, some of the subject matter we talked about today, maybe dealing with anxiety or you're wanting victory or guidance, we'll pray for you. But it doesn't have to be on what we talked about today. There could be anything you're walking through physically, maybe anxiety, maybe there's something you're walking through. Let your church family minister to you. Just come forward and we're just gonna silently pray for you while the rest of us are, are singing. But um, the song that we're gonna close with is inviting Jesus to go to work in various areas of our life. Because listen, if we're putting our faith in him, if we're surrendering to him, then we're inviting him to do his work, do the things we can't do. And so let's end with that as our prayer. Would you stand with me as we, as we close? Thanks for this. listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.